It's holiday season and you don't know what to get as a gift or stocking stuffer? Well, today's Managing Widget podcast sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my math is correct, that's almost 8 million balls. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code MANAGINGMADRID. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code MANAGINGMADRID. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. This episode of Las Blancas podcast is also brought to you by Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see the Managing Madrid podcast live in New York City. On December 4th, myself, Kian Sobani, Om Arvin, and Gabe Lezra making his return to the Management Jit Podcast will all be on stage. We're excited to meet you all, reunite with some of the fans we met a few years ago when we did a podcast in New York City, as well as meeting new people. We're very, very excited for that. Uh, and today is Thursday, so in a couple days, no, today is Friday. Yeah, recording this on Friday as the sun comes up in Dallas. Sun is literally rising right now, it's quite beautiful. Um, in Dallas, myself and Matt Wiltsey, we are recording a podcast at the Village Country Club. So that's happening tomorrow. And we would also love to see you and also excited to see everyone who's already booked their spot. There are still a few spots available. So if you want tickets to tomorrow's podcast in Dallas, just go to the show notes and click on the link and book your spot. And if you want your spot booked to any of these places, whether it's Dallas tomorrow, New York, December 4th, we got Miami coming up in January, we got London coming up in February, Washington DC in March, Chicago in April, and Mumbai in May. All those places you can get access to the tickets by clicking the links in the show notes. By the way, the Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel is located in the heart of the great city of New York and is surrounded by emblematic sites such as Central Park, Rockefeller Center, the Empire State Building, Carnegie Hall, and the luxury stores on Fifth Avenue. Its extraordinary location makes the hotel the ideal spot from which to enjoy the authentic pace of New York and an interesting array of cultural and leisure activities. RIU.com, go book your stay at Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel. And coming up, we have Las Blancas. Um, in 10 seconds or less, I'll just give my thoughts on last night's game. I thought it was a very, very noticeable improvement from the loss in Paris. We, we, our defensive shape looked a little bit better. You know, our pressing sequences were a little bit better. A couple times PSG were able to get past our initial press, but we kind of rectified that as the first half wore on, especially. I thought Olga's presence made a huge difference. His, her defensive numbers in the first half were fantastic. Um, but I think we just didn't capitalize on a first half where we were the better team. And in the second half, you had that moment of individual brilliance from PSG. And then in the first half, you had set pieces, which has been a notable problem. That's my very basic analysis. Um, and obviously, we're going to get a lot more. The experts are coming in now. So um, kick back, relax, get yourself a drink, and enjoy Grant and Ohm breaking this down to its core. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there.
Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvin. And yes, once again, I am joined by Grant Little. He's a little sick today. I think you'll hear that in his voice, but otherwise he's fine. He's raring to go. He told me off air. There's nothing he'd rather be doing right now. So here he is. And we're, of course, going to talk about Real Madrid Femenino's loss to PSG. It was a 2-0 defeat. We hosted them at the Alfredo Di Stefano. We kind of saw what happened away from home with PSG doing everything at the Parc de Prance and just how incredible that looked. It was one of the best, it's apparently one of the best atmospheres in women's football. And I think that shamed us a little bit. You know how terrible we've been about opening the Di Stefano. Let's try to match that. I, guess, I mean, we couldn't match it, but let's try to do a little bit better, which we did. I guess we opened general sales to the public. A lot of the people we know on Twitter were in Spain and rounded Femino fans were there. They're posting a bunch of videos. It looked like a good time. And extremely ultimately, jealous. <laughs> I'm extremely, extremely jealous. jealous. It looked like a fun little party. It looked like a fun little party. We'll be there someday, but not now. And look, it, it wasn't like a masterclass or anything. We lost the game. I think PSU were probably deserved winners, but this was definitely a lot different than last time out. We weren't just overrun. It wasn't like we had just absolutely no chance of getting results. It was a little bit better. And we're going to get into all of that. But let's do something a little different to start off this podcast. Let's do story time with Ohm. Because we've been kind of teasing you guys with the whole press conference thing. We're like, oh, or we've been sending requests. Maybe we'll get to ask Osnar a question one day, stated multiple times. And guess what? It finally came through. So we sent the email yesterday. Lucas messages me and says, here's the Zoom link. This is when it's going to start. You have to, you know, you just have to change your username to your name slash managing Madrid. You'll be let in. And then with other journalists, you raise your hand on Zoom and then you, you try to ask Osnar and whoever else is there. And it turned out to be Esther a question. And so that was exactly what we wanted, right? It was like so many times we were talking about, oh man, if only we got to ask Osnar a question, all the amazing things we ask, we'd ask him real proper questions, right? And, you know, it starts out well enough. I'm there with some of the journalists that, you know, I've seen before that report on things. And I go last, which was expected because I was like the newest person there. And throughout the entire time, I'm diligently taking notes on, on what Osnar is saying to other people. And I'm like, okay, you know, I got this. And then time comes to ask him my question. I stumble a little bit over my words. I'm talking in Spanish, but I get it across. And then bang, Osnar just zooms through his response. It's the longest answer he gave to anyone else in the press conference. And before I know it, he's done the press um, officer is like all right we'll see you later everybody and everyone's logging off and i'm like holy shit like i barely caught anything that osnar said and i'm like oh crap what am i gonna do and you're probably asking why i just didn't hit record on the zoom call and that's a fair question but i know that kian is not a he's not able to do that with the men's games so they basically locked out everyone from being able to record it. So I just kind of went in assuming I couldn't do that. Why didn't I at least try to click record and see what happened? I don't know. 
why didn't I have a backup way of recording, right? With maybe my phone, no headphones on. So at least I had something. That's because I got cocky and midway through, I was like, I'll be fine. I'm catching what Asnar is saying to everyone else. And literally the only response I didn't get a good grasp of was the one to my question. So I'm out here DMing another guy who was in the press conference, who was the one guy that I kind of know, and I knew I could DM asking for help. He's like, I didn't remember what he said to your question. Sorry, let me ask other people. And no one remembered, obviously. Who the hell is going to remember you know, the very last question at the end? By far the longest answer. Yeah, so that was kind of where I was sitting at. And I was like, all right, I just, I messed up horribly. This was the moment. This is what we were all waiting for. And I was like, I got a good question too, right? My question was about defensive set pieces. Clearly, we've had an issue for a long time. Is it a problem of execution or does this scheme need to change? And I was like, oh my God, I missed the response because we always wanted to ask him about this, right? We've been complaining about set pieces the entire time. And so I was like, all right, you know, it is what it is. I'll try to see if they put, you know, videos out. And maybe I can try to like decipher whether Osnar responded to my question those. And you think, all right, it can't get that much worse, right? I made some mistakes. I fucked up real bad. But you live and you learn. But no, that was not the only mistake I made. Because as it turns out, and as I was kind of passing my question back and forth between a couple of people, as I was trying to figure out whether some of the stuff he said in the videos that Ramander posted was a response to my question. One guy tells me like, wait a second, your question doesn't say what you think it said. And as it turns out, I had made a little adjustment to the question right before I asked it. And that fucked up the entire meeting because I checked with Lucas beforehand. He was kindly reading over. I had three questions. I had backup questions in case someone did ask my preferred question, which they actually did, which was going to be about in our conservative approach versus PSG. And Lucas checked, all o- checked it all over. He was like, it's all good. And so I went and then in my hubris decided to change it. I just added one word to the question because I wanted to make it a little less aggressive, right? Because I said something to the effect of it's evident that we've had problems with defensive set pieces. And I added pocos to the sentence because I wanted to say it's evident that we've had a few problems, right? We've had some problems with defensive set pieces, but what I needed to, we needed to say was unos pocos problemas, but I just said pocos problemas, which translated to Real Madrid have only had a few problems with defensive set pieces this season, which is like the biggest lie in the world. And so the rest of my question didn't make sense because I was asking, is it a problem with execution? Is it a problem? with the scheme and based on what I think Osnar's response was in one of the videos Real Madrid posted, like he just didn't talk about set pieces at all. He talked about something completely different, which I can't exactly blame him for because my question made no sense. So basically Grant, we learned a couple lessons here, right? Always have a backup to record, record audio in any way possible. Two, do not change the question last second when you ask it in a different language. Three, we send Grant Little next time instead of me. <laughs> hey, don't be so hard on yourself. It's the first. It was like, I think that's your first time, right? At a press conference. 
This is the first time I've ever done press doing it in another language. It's it's not difficult, or I mean, it's very difficult. Like I remember going to my first ones, and for me, like I sat through the first couple and didn't even ask questions because I didn't have <laughs> the courage to ask. I wanted to kind of case the joint, and get a feel for it. I mean, luckily enough for me, like most of the NWSL teams are pretty good at sending you the clips but i had it like at the stadium in the u.s women's national team game where i was like writing a story and i needed this quote from sophia smith in the post game and it was too loud and my recorder wasn't working properly and u.s soccer never sent it out so i had to like turn the volume up and blast my eardrums to try and figure it out if anyone knows a program that is good at recording you know zoom audio as well as our audio on a computer hit us off because i've been doing this press conference thing trying to figure out recording for a lot longer than ohm and i still kind of get tripped up on it all also asking questions in a different language is very tough i commend anyone who does it i commend the people who are able to answer our questions in his second language so i wouldn't be so harsh on yourself um we'll we'll learn we'll get better the great news is is we got to ask a question which is a huge step in the right direction. At least they allowed us, which we thought wasn't going to happen. So yeah, Esther was there. and They clearly don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I think Osnar is fairly aware that we're critical of him, but for whatever reason, they allowed us. So yeah, Esther was there, and I was not brave enough to cook something up on the fly because you don't know who the player is beforehand. Everyone else there was native Spanish speakers, except for a guy from the keep, but his Spanish sounded really good, even though he kind of apologized for like a conjugation mistake in the beginning. So like he's on a different level of like, you know, non-native speaker than I am. And I so, yeah, I'm weird that they don't tell you what player it is. I mean, I'm so used to like the U S media, which is way better, but they usually are like, this coach is going to be available and this player. Maybe it was there in the email they sent Lucas because he just sent me the, the Zoom link. Be. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was not the case because th- this is Real Madrid we're talking about and their press relations are terrible. I mean, you're not going to get any help from them. It's all on you. And if you mess up in a certain instance, there's no backup, right? There's no them sending you an audio file afterwards like happens with US sports. Like It's a totally different world in Europe, especially with Real Madrid who don't really care about the press at all. Right. I mean, they're above that. Like this is just an annoyance that they have to go through. The good news is, is that unlike the men's team, more than like five journalists can ask everyone who was there. There was like nine or 10 of us all got to ask questions and people got to ask questions, both to Osnar and Esther, which doesn't happen with the men's team. You've got to pick one or the other. So maybe one day I'll be able to kind of, see who the player is in the beginning and because I'm probably going to go last every single time. And if Grant goes, it'll probably be the case with him as well because he'll be a new face as well. He'll be like, who the hell is this guy? I thought the managing Madrid guy looked different. Maybe we'll be able to cook something up on the fly, but baby steps, right? I literally tried to change one word and I messed up the entire question. So we'll go slowly, maybe set my sights a little lower, be a little less. We need Aslani back because we know she can speak English. <laughs> Or, or get Muller, you know, alongside Osnar there. 
that's the story. That story time was um a depressing story, a more depressing story than than even Real Madrid's loss to PSG. So it's only up from here. But at least we got in. Uh, yeah, I would say there's positives in both of these sad stories. So don't <laughs> don't be too harsh. I wish though I had like seen Osnar and Esther's face when I was answering when I was asking my question. But but I was just reading it from like my notes app on my computer. So like I, I wasn't looking at them. One, I wanted to see like what the reaction was to my shitty accent. But two, clearly they must have been confused when I like the first part of my question did not at all relate to the second. I <laughs> wish I had caught that, but you know, I was it it all happened too fast for me. So hopefully next time. And there will be some next times, hopefully, because we'll see about away games and how that's sorted out. Because I think PSG I think won. away game, we might be able to work Barcelona because I have their press officers contact from um, the WICC. Yeah, so, but let's let's hope we, for that. we do not play Barcelona in the Champions League. Oh yeah, no, I mean just for yeah, the yeah, I know, I, yeah, um, yeah, that would be that would be cool. But yeah, away games in the Champions League, I don't really think it's up to Real Madrid. It's it's a whole difference. It's 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 chaos. It's a disaster. We send an email and we just kind of like sit there and cross our fingers. So we might not be able to do away game in the Champions League, but home matches we should be set now, and we assume we're being we're qualifying to the knockout stages, right? Despite these two losses to PSG, so there will be at least like you know two more chances. So yeah, we'll just see how it goes and. Um, I'll try not to mess up so bad next time. Now, the interesting thing about the stuff Osnar said to everyone else was like multiple times he was like, we want to change the image. Image was the specific word he used from what happened last time out. Because obviously heavily criticized the approach, the negativity, the conservatism. And he's like, I want to change the image from the last game. We are going to try to take the ball from PSG and we are going to try to play with the ball ourselves. Basically saying we're going to press PSG, we're going to play a possession game. He said it enough times that I was like, okay, this doesn't just seem like him saying stuff. This is him actively stating his intent about what the tactical approach is going to be for the next game. And it basically panned out that way, right? Grant starting 11 was totally different from last time out. There was no back five. I initially thought it was going to be a diamond, um, but we'll get into how everything played out just in terms of the names, right? Misa was the one in goal. It was not Gerard. Kenty was in the lineup ahead of Lucia. It was Ivana, Rocio, Olga completing the back four. Yes, it was a back four, not a back five. And then we had Maite Zornoza, Teresa, Naikari, Esther, Muller, it was a lineup that told you, regardless of whether you could figure out exactly what the formation was going to be, it told you, okay, Real Madrid are going to be more offensive. We're probably going to try to play with the ball more. And I think maybe we weren't as proactive and as aggressive as maybe Osnar indicated he would be in the press, and we would be in the press conference. But he was basically you know, telling us what, what he was going to do, and that's how it panned out. When you saw that starting lineup, Grant, were you pleased? Yeah, I was generally pleased. I think that I was a little surprised not to see Athenea. But overall, I looked at it. I looked at, you know, three actual midfielders in Zornosa, Tere, and Maite, which I think is always the move if everyone's healthy. 
saw Cassie on the bench, which is a good sign. Um, I, I can't remember if she played on the weekend in the game that we couldn't watch, but it's great to have, you know, a backup midfielder, crazy ideas. And overall, you could just see the intent was there to not just sit back and absorb pressure like we did last time. Because just as we could tell that from this lineup, last time when we looked at the lineup, we basically could all tell what we were going to do. And it was sit back, absorb pressure. And, you know, we end up losing 2-0, but I think the performance spoke for itself. It was a lot better. The scoreline speaks for itself. It was a lot better. And ultimately, we talked a lot about just actually trying to play the game rather than changing tactics and going ultra conservative and how even if you are going up against solid opposition an opposition that is clearly better than you sitting back and changing to a scheme that you're not used to is not going to be beneficial you'd be better going out playing your game in your formation and trying to take it to psg a little bit so what did you think the formation was going to be when you saw that lineup on paper? Yeah, so as Ohm said, I'm a little sick, and you guys could probably hear it. You probably heard it even worse when I was talking about Brazil with Keon. But I had just woken up from a nap and was typing it in. So I think I wrote 4-3-3, and this was just like the most hopeful thing that I could have written, I guess. Um, then I saw your tweet and I'm like, oh yeah, four four two diamond would make a lot more sense. But I did not see a flat four four two coming. Um, that was a little surprising. I thought it was gonna be the defensive shape, perhaps, but I didn't think we would be going forward in a flat four four two, but that that's what you went with. Yeah, so I was convinced it was a diamond because you know, silly me, I was like, well, all the players are gonna be in their most natural positions, right? We saw, well, we didn't see versus the Albetis, but we heard about essentially this same lineup just swapping out Lucia for Kenti being a diamond with Muller behind Naikari and Esther. And when I see this lineup versus PSG, of course, I think, oh, well, it's just going to be a diamond with one player being changed out. And I wasn't actually super happy about that. Not that I didn't want us to be more proactive. I definitely didn't want to see what we saw in the first match versus PSG. But I almost felt like, oh, we're going to take it to another extreme, right? In the diamond, we're going to press ultra high. We're going to dominate all of the ball or attempt to dominate all of the ball and be on the front foot all the time. And PSG will just carve us out wide because that's where all their threat is. We talked about this before. Yash and Abdullah talked about in the preview pod we did. Yash has talked about in his article, and I was just like, it just feels like too extreme, right? It's like the first match was one extreme, the second was the other, and I wasn't so hot about that, and I was like, how are we going to protect the wings? And as it turns out, I spent all that time thinking about that for literally nothing because we didn't play a 4-4-2 diamond. It's difficult to describe exactly what it was we saw offensively. You could say flat 4-4-2. That would be more accurate than saying it was a diamond. But it's probably just best to describe the roles that were there out there on the pitch, right? So Tere and Naikari's roles were like the strangest. Tere kind of starting out on the left, but very frequently coming all the way into the center to sit above Sornoza and Maite in the double pivot. 
So like being some kind of attacking midfielder roaming in from the left, we've seen Pere play off the left before and she will come inside a lot, but it seemed like in this game, she did it even more than she maybe has done so in the past. And then Naikari was, it was even stranger because most of her touches came out on the wing because that's where she could get on the ball, but off ball, she was like she was positioned against the last line a lot. And we just had a line of three attackers while she would also maybe drop off into the half space to attempt to, to receive and stuff like that. So it was super asymmetric and really kind of gets the heart of the idea that like formations are just semantics and they only describe what's happening on the field to, to a certain degree, especially when the players are deployed the way they are. So I would just say... Teresa was like some kind of left-sided attacking midfielder, inverted attacking midfielder with Naikari Garcia being some kind of forward, basically. And then you had Esther mainly kind of occupying the spaces to the left with Muller trying to figure out how she gets involved more to the right half space. So that was was what the attacking shape was generally. Grant, how did you feel about the efficacy of, of all of that? I mean, it's one of the weirdest things you've seen Osnar do. How do you feel it worked? Yeah, so I think there were kind of two points I want to make on that. I think it worked well in possession and in build-up in like kind of the first two phases of build-up where we're building from the back and then getting the ball forward. But once we got into the final third, I feel like we were lacking, uh, especially on Naikari's side because she's not one to really drift wide. We had Kenty overlapping quite a bit, but like when there's only one player overlapping, I think it's going to be a whole lot easier for a side like PSG to handle that. Obviously, Olga was doing a bit of the same thing on the other flank, and she's maybe a little more able to get up and down the flank. But normally we have issues in the final third, and so by doing this in the final third, I felt like we were lacking numbers, lacking ideas, lacking options which is pretty typical, but when we typically lack these options, we go for crosses and we didn't even really have all that many people on the flanks for crosses. So I really thought the only way we might get a goal is by Zornosa playing a ball over the top, a ball through the lines to Esther like we saw a few times today. It's super interesting that both times he played PSG with wildly different strategies, Osnar has not prioritized the offense in a way to take advantage of the space behind the fullbacks consistently. Like obviously Olga and Kenty were going to be very offensive, but it was basically one versus one out there, right? They were, we were hardly going to generate two versus ones in those areas. And it's not like we never got in behind Ashley Lawrence and Sakina Karchawi, but it's like that wasn't necessarily the focus, right? Whereas maybe in, Prior back four formations we've used, we'd have two wide players will be combining out with the fullback, look to overload Lawrence Karchawi, create the overlap, and then play a free cross. It, it's interesting that Osnar really kind of emphasized the center in this game. And I think in terms of ensuring secure buildup, ensuring press resistance, ensuring circulation, I think it was fine. I mean, Maite and Zornoza had really good days on the ball, especially Maite, we'll talk about her. But specifically with Teresa coming inside, she started to ask questions 
about the midfield line of four in front of her because Gayoro had to play defensive midfielder in this game and, and she couldn't go to Teresa necessarily because she was worried about is Muller going to drop off? Is Esther going to drop off? Is Naikari going to come inside? So PSG, one of PSG's central midfielders really had to think about stepping up onto one of our center backs, about stepping up onto our double pivot. And it gave Maite and Zornoza a little bit more space to be on the ball. And we were generally quite secure in possession, building off from the back from the center. And I thought that was good. The issue for me is that it didn't really manifest in the way we wanted it to, trying to enter the final third. And this became more of a bigger issue in the second half. But essentially, I just think there was a lot of confusion between Muller, Naikari, and Esther about how they were going to position themselves in relation to each other, how they were going to move to get on the ball in ways that were productive for the team. It was just, it was just kind of all over the place. And I think we struggled to get into the final third and attack the box as much as we could have in those like 20, 25 minutes, which was our best spell. And I think that was kind of where we mostly lost our chance of trying to get a win over PSG. Obviously, we had a couple of chances after that, but that period was when PSG looked the most mediocre. That was when everyone was feeling the best about our game. And in hindsight, and it's always easy to talk in hindsight, that was kind of the period where Real Madrid probably had their best chance of trying to get on the score sheet just because we had most of the ball. PSG were not looking great. They looked a little confused with what we were doing with our approach. And I just feel like we were not able to take advantage of that to the maximum. And so in overall evaluation of this tactic, I'd say it's significant improvement over what we saw last time out versus PSG. but. It's similar to many of the other things we've seen from Osnar, especially last season, where you sit down and say, okay, this is all right. It's okay, but there's still so many areas where things can improve. And it's not necessarily to do with the formation, it's to do with general offensive structure and the more granular tactical aspects of the game, which is kind of always the bone we have to pick with Osnar. So, Grant, what did you feel about the start to this game? Right? Do you agree that that was probably our best-looking period overall and that, in hindsight, maybe we should have been more efficient with those possessions if we were going to go out and get a result in this game? Yeah, 100%. I think Esther had that chance in the third minute. She had a chance in the eighth minute that was waved offside, which did not look like it was offside. And a couple other opportunities, little half chances. I messaged you at halftime. I thought that this was probably the best half that the team has played overall since the games against Manchester City. Obviously, you know, we we beat up on Breda Blick and um, scored a few goals against Kharkiv and so on. But I think that this, against the type of opponent, was was one of the best overall performances in a half. That being said, we have the same issues as always of not necessarily clicking in the final third and not even really creating all that many opportunities after the few Esther chances to start the match. But I thought the midfield looked really, really good to start the game. I know that we talked about how that kind of front three or front two had some issues in the final third. I think it's the first time those three have ever played together 
Naikari is obviously not in her preferred position, but I thought she did a really good job early of holding up play, drawing fouls. I think Karshawe fouled her like five times in the opening two minutes. Um, and overall, it was it was a really bright start. And I think it shows, you know, how this change has helped. But also, I think that the fans helped. Honestly, you're at home. You've got probably your biggest crowd all year. And you're fired up to prove that, you know, that 4-0 loss was was not an accurate representation of the gap between the two teams. I think there were 6,000 people there, the commentators said. And the crowd looked great from what I'm seeing from these videos that it sounded good on the broadcast yeah it sounded good they had drums you know if you guys know miri on twitter she she asked if someone had like a bigger like speakerphone i think a couple of days before the game or something which is like the most on-brand thing she'd ever posted i don't know if you guys are aware but she's that person who who brings that thing to to, to whatever game she can and she's just always like yelling encouragement at the players. She was the one who, when I think it was her, it might have been someone else, when you know Marina had that like whole moment with Cardona. Like I think it was Miri with the with with that speakerphone who was just like screaming her name out for like a minute, trying to get her to come and meet Marina, which eventually they had to do when they were actually leaving the the stadium itself. So the crowd probably definitely helped. It's actually an advantage that we've lacked. You know, if if we think about the hit, the short history of Ramadan Femino, you know, because for the longest time fans couldn't even come to the home games, right? It was locked out to basically everyone, and I guess that can't be understated. That probably had an effect. I think the biggest thing though was Maite and Zornozo's performance on the ball, especially Maite. It's weird to say in a loss, but I just think this is one of the best performances I've ever seen from Maite, probably a top five performance, just taking into account the opponent. 96% passing accuracy on 48 attempts. And it's not like she was just passing the ball sideways, was had, had just an easy time, you know, just all the time and space in the world to pick her moments. There were clever reverse passes. There were nutmegs. There were really like nerve-inducing sequences under pressure. There is one particular moment where she changes passes with Zornoza, Ivana's pressured, she dribbles inside, finds Maite, and we play our way out. That those were the types of stuff Maite was involved in. There were cute vertical passes, four out of five completed long balls. She had two key passes on the night as well. This was just flat out one of those top tier controlling performances on the ball from Mike Eros, 23 years old, in the Champions League against one of the best teams in the world. And it was just, it was really awesome to watch. She just stood out to me. And I think this is, this is her potential, right? This is what she can achieve playing in this midfield. She can be the future of this midfield with performances like this. And I think it was honestly the biggest reason for why we looked like we had a shot for periods in this game, especially to start it. Zornosa was also good. I think probably a level below, not quite as clean on the ball, but her through balls to Olga on the left-hand side were really key to giving us some juice and offense. And we've talked about it, but since Mike Day came back, she's looked like a completely different player. All of a sudden, actually operating 
at the level that we expect a veteran playmaker in midfield to operate like. And those two, I think, created a really solid base for, if nothing else, allowing us to have control on the ball and putting us in a position where we can complain about not being able to enter the final third that efficiently. Grant, any thoughts about Mike Dan Zornoza? Yeah, like you said, I think they were the two best players. I think Olga's probably up there as well. I'm sure we'll talk about her. But, you know, you talk about them holding possession, really establishing the pace of the game, and Real Madrid not really entering the final third. But a lot of the times when we did enter the final third and when we did have chances, it was Maite and Zornosa who carved those out. I talked about those through balls, those line-breaking passes from Zornosa to Esther to Olga. And then we had another good chance in the second half to equalize where Maite opens up the field wide to Olga. Olga has that first time cross to Esther and shoots from a tight angle and LeBay makes a pretty good save. So not only did they have that dominant performance on the ball in the midfield, they were able to turn that into the chances created in the final third as well, which is not something that we were able to do all that often. I think the other thing that has to be said is this was not quite the same PSG that we faced first time yeah, out. Obviously, sure. the stuff that followed about the off-field issues, we all know about Hamraoui, Diallo, both not available. So their midfield was quite a bit weaker. Gayoro had to go and play in defensive midfield, or at least the manager determined that she had to. And I thought that was huge for us. Because we saw what she, she did last time out and just how insanely valuable she, had, she is as a receiver in tight spaces. And she had to be the one starting player from deep. And instead, it was Khalifi who played alongside the Brits. And I think that was just a huge quality drop in midfield. Like Khalifi only completed something like 71% of her passes. I thought she was the worst PSG performer on the day. And it's really difficult to carry someone like that in midfield especially when they're kind of playing in an advanced zone and you're trying to break lines that way. I thought Dabritz was fine. She grew throughout the game, but it was not the same midfield that we were facing versus PSG. They also looked a little bit more hesitant to press us than they did at home, which I don't think is a surprise, something we've been seeing in a lot of these Champions League games. And I think this is a trend that exists across all of football, but I've been really noticing it in these Champions League games. The away side just, they become so much more conservative defensively. And to the extent to which I think it's like, it's not necessary, right? Like I get you're away from home, you respect the, the opponent is going to play a different way. But for example, Leon destroyed Bayern's buildup with their pressing at home and then away from home, they just didn't press at all. And Bayern ended up winning that game. And I think that was the biggest factor of that. PSG did press us at times, but it was not like it was last time out. And then obviously the other main change for them was that Sandy Baltimore did not start. It was Ramona Bachman in, and she's a good player, but Baltimore's on a different level. I think that's just basic rotation. And then you had some changes at the back, right? Lishted didn't play. Botikova didn't play in goal. Stephanie Labe was the one who played instead. But I think probably the most consequential ones were you know, Baltimore out, but not having the their prior midfield, having to play Gayoro in the center. And PSG were just not able to string stuff together for a lot of that first half, right? And that's where I think we talk about our defense because we had a whole different look with our offense, but we also had a much higher line of engagement against the ball. 
it wasn't quite a high press. Like it was really more of like a mid high block, something like that. Maybe Osnar was just kind of, you know, being a bit hyperbolic in the press conference to the extent that we go and try to take the ball from PSG, but it was drastically different from what we tried before. And it just asked different questions of PSG, right? It wasn't, oh, we're already in the final third. We can get the ball out wide, have Karchawi or Diani dribble at someone, put a cross in the box. It was like, well, we have to get to the final third. And it seems like in that first half, just making them have to solve that extra issue was too much for them because so many direct passes, right? Grant from the back, just trying to play it lofted to the wings, trying to find Katoto in behind. And for a long time in that half, it was like really easy for us to cut it out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, obviously what Osnar's thinking was behind this, but I think the idea of packing the midfield when PSG's midfield was going to be kind of rotated by necessity is a solid move. A lot of the time we left Gioro kind of open in buildup when she drops back in between the center backs, but there were enough players around her that it was going to be difficult for her to turn and go forward centrally. So it ended up forcing PSG wide to their fullbacks repeatedly. And at that point we were able to kind of push and compress over to that side you have that extra defender in the out of bounds line. And we were just able to make it a whole lot more difficult to play through us. Whereas in the game against PSG in Paris, we sat back and we basically let their midfielders have the ball wherever they wanted it. I think that made a huge difference today. So I guess this was part of the reason in referring to PSG's performance. I wasn't like super, super excited about our first half. People were talking about, we were way better and stuff like that. And then when you initially told me, Grant and Slack, this is the best half we had versus City, I was kind of like, is it really? And then I had to think about it. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Because you think about our, we've had basically n- not a single league performance that you could call like just flat out good without caveat. I don't really know if you can count the 5 0 win versus Breda Blake because we're adjusting for opposition quality here. So really, this is the best half we had since Manchester City. But I also kind of felt like I was. I wasn't seeing PSG at their best, not just because they didn't have certain personnel on the field, but like they just weren't even executing as well in buildup with the players they had out on the field. And I was like, can this go to, an, to another level in the second half? I think another caveat to add maybe on the PSG side is what happened on the weekend. You know, they, they put out what they could what they could of their best 11 because they were playing Leon and they got absolutely obliterated six to one, you know, Ashley Lawrence got sent off in the first half, but that's demoralizing. Um, I mean, that could, the way the French league works, that could be league over already. I mean, that's basically how PSG won the league last year. They beat Leon once and drew with them once. So I'm sure that they were maybe a little hungover from that match. And if they were playing maybe a team like Bayern or something like that of a little higher quality than Real Madrid at the moment, then they may have been made to pay because of their kind of lacklusterness on the ball. Those are fair points. And we'll get to maybe how that changed in the second half. But for all of this, Real Madrid were better in the first half, blah, blah, blah. We go into the halftime tunnel 
one nil down. And why is that, Grant? Because of set pieces. And goddamn, I really wish I hadn't messed up that question. It's funny as well because Esther was the one sitting there. And I think she was probably the primary culprit because she wasn't able to stay with Katoto. So, yeah, I guess that's just a little, I don't know if that's ironic or what, but they were the two there. I asked the question to Osnar with Esther sitting there. Esther gave up the foul too. Yeah, so it was like it's all all just came together to just remind me of how bad I messed up. So I don't think it would have changed anything, but in light of that, it would have been really nice to have a response from Osnar about what he thinks the issue is set pieces or if he thinks there's an issue at all and then be able to discuss that after the game and I guess like dissect that but we don't have it regardless maybe he would have tried to dodge it anyway but I mean what more can we say about these issues Grant? And on this one in particular it felt more straightforward <clears throat> I'm sorry Grant's sick Apparently, I also have an issue passing it through the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I should. I should be wearing a mask right now. But it was kind of a clever routine because Kototo kind of starts more towards the center, wheels around, trying to get to the box, and she loses Esther in that action. You can argue that. It was a really great ball, too, from Bachman. It was a fantastic pass from Bachman. Maybe argue Rocio can come over to cover, but she's just not quick enough to get there. And then... I don't know how I feel about Misa coming out like that because I just feel like she was never going to get there, but it was that type of ball over the top that will entice a goalkeeper out and she wasn't able to get there and it left the goal open and they score. And I guess we can assign individual blame however we, how we want on that. But once again, right, just a symptom of like, we just can't get it right. The organization just isn't right. There's always someone losing someone, someone unable to cover, someone being forced into a tough decision that they get wrong and we concede or we give up a really good shot i mean how are we just going to be this is just going to be the rest of the season every game we're just going to have to talk about this well hopefully not every game because not everyone has the aerial threats that psg have um i think our inability to defend on set pieces has been highlighted in these last two champions league games because we are playing psg but my god all i could think about was Barcelona, all of their aerial threats and the emphasis that they place on set pieces. And we already know that they're going to score a lot of goals probably. And I could just see multiple coming on set pieces because they clearly have a very good plan and we do not. Yeah, I wonder if I'll be able to like somehow asking this again or like that ship has sailed like it's just i messed up yeah like, i don't know player i don't know how i'd uh yeah but i feel like it's weirder to ask a player because if they think it's bad it's not like they can they can feel like they can say like yeah the scheme is ass you know that guy osner is sitting right next <laughs> to me i guess i could be like you know remember last time where <laughs> i asked the question wrong well let me ask it again i don't know if i could do that so we might Maybe Grant, it could be better if Grant asked it at some point in the future. But I don't know what exactly would have told us. At the end of the day, I don't know what we're doing with this. And you can argue it costs us the result because we go in nil-nil halftime. PSG don't get that boost because it was after that set piece that PSG started to play better, where I felt like that first half got more even. And 
PSVR, like, all right, we, we rode the storm, right? We're out of it. We're in front. This is how things are supposed to be. And I just didn't feel like the second half was quite the same as the first in terms of Real Madrid having this sense of being on top, even though we ended up getting one big chance. So Yeah, and honestly, I kind of felt like this was coming the way that, um, you know, Esther wasn't able to put, up, put away that, that chance early. You, you just can't give – like, you can't let a team of this quality off the hook over and over again because they have the people who are clinical and will punish you. And I know everyone's going to say, like, you're just saying this because it happened, but I really thought right around that moment, I was like, this is – Katoto or Diani is going to score, even though that we've outplayed PSG throughout this entire half. Because they're clinical, all they need is one chance. Yeah, I don't think it's ever – a bad take to feel like yes she could score at any moment so did you think there are changes that Osnar should have made at halftime to get us back into this one try to maybe improve some of the things you're doing offensively or it was fine to just send out the same 11 and then just kind of see how things played out for a bit yeah that's a tough question um I think it would have been harsh to make you know unforced halftime substitutions because we did have some forced halftime substitutions because of the way that people performed. And honestly, like I thought Naikari had a good half, even though she wasn't in the final third all that much. I thought she held up play well. She had a few, you know, enticing through balls, things like that. But I just really thought that if there was a way where we keep that three midfield and have two wingers. Like if we went to a four, three, three and probably depends on personnel, you would probably have to drop Nikari, move Moeller out wide Esther up top and then Athene on one of the wings. I just thought we needed the ability to have a winger being able to go at defenders one V one and then having Olga and Kenty overlap or underlap because we were struggling to get, through centrally and we kept trying to go wide but it was we were just outnumbered on the flank. I uh, it's interesting that you say you like Naikari's performance in the first half maybe I was I'm just being too harsh on on her and I mean I I mean I just feel like it was really tough for her out there trying to make something happen on the right wing um, and maybe more of her second half performance sits in my mind where like she had trouble like receiving you know right against up against the defender there was one moment where she received well and she was offside but at the end of the day I'd agree with you that if I was taking someone off it would be Muller and I just thought it was fairly obvious that there's just too much going on in that front line put Athenea on for Muller who was the most anonymous player in the game I don't think really it was her fault but she ultimately had 16 touches over an hour of play which she eventually did come off which means she had way less in the first half and I think it just made sense to, to bring Akanea on. I don't know if there's really a way you could alter everything else we were doing in a way that wouldn't completely destabilize us and confuse things further. Keep the thing Tede is doing. Let Olga own the left wing. But man, get some threat down that right-hand side. Let's go two versus one versus Karchawi. And I especially felt that after the second half started because Karchawi really started to unleash, right? She started to bomb forward attacking with her carries and dribbles, tried to put the game away. And 
I just felt like maybe Athena came on a little too late. As it happened, Athena came on and she didn't exactly have the greatest game. No completed dribbles, completed less than half of her passes. One of those where she comes on, works really hard, tries a lot of things, but doesn't necessarily come off. But obviously that's that's not something you know is going to happen beforehand, right? You trust Athena's quality. And I just think you put her on in that immediately after the half, it gives more time for her to go on and make, make something happen. I just felt like by when the 60th minute came, it was just too short a period, right? It took her a little bit to get into it. She wasn't getting on the ball as much because PSG were the ones who were in control of the game a little bit more. And it just felt a little too late. But, you know, regardless, Osnar goes out with the same thing and it just all looks different, right? It wasn't the same vibe as the first half. Why do you feel that was the case? Was it just PSG upping their level? Was there something Real Madrid was doing wrong? Yeah, I think it's important to mention at halftime, Rocio came off for Bob's because it looked like Rocio was limping a bit uh, before the half. So we did have that one halftime substitution. But overall, I think PSG upped their level a notch. They looked a little better. We weren't as quick to shift. We weren't as quick to be in line defensively. And I think, you know, with PSG getting the goal, being more confident, they were able to be the protagonist a little more, and this opened the game up. And by opening the game up, it also gave us more space, maybe on the counter, which we took and tried to go forward at pace. And we just kind of lost that control that Maite and Zornosa were having and how we had a lot of the ball, a lot of control over the game. Not sure if that's how you saw it, but I couldn't pinpoint anything specifically tactically. I think it was a bit of game state and PSG upping their level. I think the biggest thing was PSG just started to figure stuff out on the ball. They weren't going direct all the time. They were putting real passing sequences together and starting to actually test our compactness. And defensively, it's funny because I think we did the right general thing but I don't think our block was actually that great. There was a decent amount of space between the lines. We weren't really applying pressure from the front. So it, it was there for PSG to drop players off, play passes into them, break lines, form combinations, and make stuff happen. They just weren't really putting it together in the first half. It was too direct. Gayoro wasn't in the positions they wanted her to be. But Kyoto's influence grew in the second half. She figured out how she was going to make an impact from her position. She started to, to roam and rotate more. Dabritz became really influential. You had Kototo dropping off quite a bit to overload our midfield line. And then players like Diani and Karchawi just started to drive forward. They started to attack the space and they decided to be brave and you know, make use of their quality. And I think in particular, Karchawi really started to change things in favor of PSG. She had two or three runs down that left-hand side, obviously including the goal that just absolutely destroyed us and was a bit reminiscent of what we saw in the last game. And she was incredible. It was unfortunate that she had to come off injured. It looked like it really hurt. I mean, I hope it's nothing serious. She's been a really fun player to watch over these past couple of games. And yeah, I mean, she was really, really good. Diani started to put stuff together. Katoto even came over and, and dribbled at players in the very final minutes of the game. Like she had some nasty moves. I think it was a nutmeg on Olga going to the corner flag. PSG were just lifted by that goal. They calmed themselves down, realized their potential on the ball, and I think they really tested our defensive compactness, and it kind of crumbled 
a little bit, and it allowed PSG more time in the final third, which benefited them, but also led to a more end-to-end atmosphere. Because we had more offensive personnel on the field, because we had a different mentality, we suddenly had more transitions going the other way. And it wasn't really enough for me to feel like Real Madrid were on top in that first half, but we still had some moments. And then obviously PSG were, were able to come the other way off of those transitions and threaten our back line as well. And ultimately PSG were just able to get better of that. The one chance, right? I mean, there are probably some others, but the big one was Esther at the back post. Did you, when, when she missed that, was that in your mind? Like, that's it. That's the chance. Yes. You're going to run away with it now. I didn't think they were going to run away with it, but I thought that was the chance. Um, especially since we didn't capitalize on the early chances. That was a tough finish and a good save. But if we were going to get anything out of this game, I thought it was going to be that finish. And then we kind of see out the match. 1-1 draw. I just didn't see the way we were operating today. Two goals coming. Unless it was like just an absolute miracle of like channeling your inner Martha Cardona and pulling two goals out of nothing. And at that point, you just kind of knew. That was the big one. That was Zornosa releasing Olga, I think. Olga getting free on the left-hand side, putting a really good ball. Esther coming across, not able to score. And that was kind of the one where I was like, in how this second half is playing out, this is the way we were going to score. If we were going to write some kind of faster transition where PSG are disorganized, we're finally able to play in behind. We don't take advantage of it. That could be the game right there. And it kind of turned out to be that way. How did you feel about the changes, Grant? So obviously we just have to, take, to, to knock a couple out of the way that Osner really had no choice about because Rocio Gavis comes off at the half. Grant, you said you noticed her kind of struggling in the first half towards the end of it. She was probably injured. She probably had a knock. So Bobet Petter comes on and uh, swaps with Ivana. We actually have to discuss Ivana's positioning in the first half, but we'll get to that. Then in the 50th minute, Kenti Robles goes down hard. And as soon as you saw it, you're like, that's not good. You knew she was going to come off. And Lucia comes on. So that was the first couple of changes. And then Atenea comes on in the 60th minute for Caroline Muller-Hansen. And then in the 73rd minute, you have Kasi come on for Maite. Cordera come on for Teresa after we go 2-0 down, which kind of felt like we were conceding the match. But... I guess let's let's go over those those first three, how you felt Petra and Lucia performed, and then also your thoughts on Atenea. Like it's possible I I'm a lot harsher on her, kind of similar to Naikari. Yeah, I I think Bob's did fine. I think she provided an aerial presence that we probably needed a little more of on set pieces, especially considering PSG's height advantage. Lucia got absolutely torched on the Kershawi goal. Um, I think she struggled a little to get into the rhythm of this game coming in in the 50th minute to a PSG that's revving up their engines and getting more transitional. Coming on right as Kershawi is getting going and Bachman is starting to attack you. Like It must be one of the worst situations in the world. Not a good place to be put into. Especially considering that she probably didn't even have the proper amount of time to warm up, considering Kenty's injury. 
So I think that there's some situational factors that you can, you can write off that performance a little bit. I think she's overall been a lot better recently. As for Athenea, Athenea has got this thing about her that I really like that I think I talked about with Vinicius as well when we were talking about Brazil. Um, she just goes at people. It doesn't matter how many times things go wrong today. They weren't coming off all that much, but she's never afraid to try and make things happen, which I think is important, especially for a young player. It wasn't the performance that, you know, we we all wanted. We all kind of expect of her game in game out but it's important to remember her age she's relatively new to the team um and this is probably some of the best competition that she's ever played against so overall i think she did fine it wasn't anything to write home about she lost some of her individual battles but that's going to happen when you play a team like psg the the sub in the 73rd minute was when i just started grinding on the immediate reaction because like you i thought we were just hanging it up i was very surprised to see maite come off especially considering the game she was having and then when we rock corridor on in midfield i was i don't even know i don't even know yeah so i don't really it was a double sub and like i could like you it's that thing with Osnar where you're like he's not gonna do it is he not gonna and then they put up Teresa's number and I was like "Mm, uh, (laughs) he's gonna do it yeah so I don't have that much to add about the other subs obviously I already said my bit on Athenea I just think he was mailing it in with the last two and I guess how do you feel about that right so we are 2-0 down we're probably not gonna win but when we talk about changing the image of the team, and I mean, like, it's, it's only 2 no down, right? We're probably not going to win, but there's still about 12, 15 minutes left in the game. You add an injury time. Is it reasonable to be like, I'm going to take out Maite, who is the best player. I'm going to take out Tede and put on Cora there just so we can also give her a rest as well. Is that acceptable? Do you not feel any type of way about it? Or should, should we have kept going to the very end trying to get something from this one? I'm of a bit of two minds here. It pissed me off when it happened. I was like, okay, so we're just we're just hanging it up. But I also understand that we're at a like a real not great place in the league and need to rest these players, especially because for some reason we we didn't sign enough midfielders. I mean, we've talked about this a million times, but it's whatever. But I think that there's a way to make these substitutions where you could rationalize it as still going for it and making a few changes to try and tweak things while also giving rest. Like, I think the Kasi sub is fine. Like, if Kasi comes on for Maite, like, it's a midfielder for a midfielder. Like, Maite had a great game, but maybe Kasi adds a directness with the ball that Osnar thinks is going to work against PSG. I don't that think that was really it, made but I, I No, no, appreciate... I know, but, like, you know how, like, you can write this off. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. You can I rationalize know, I know. it. You make these subs so it doesn't, look like you're just like oh well here's the white flag like we're we're done today like you you can make that sub and then bring on i don't know lorena for teresa like that could be that's a bit of mailing it in maybe but it looks a whole lot less bad than when you put a right back in i think lorena would have actually been a good sub to be like where you can hide the fact that you're mailing it in and for sure 
still because I mean her and coming off the left to interpret that kind of attacking midfield role. I mean that's exactly Lorena's thing. I mean and probably, she stepped up in the Champions League big time. Right. I mean you probably want her doing it from the right or something, but she's effective in any position across the front line, right? Because we talked about how positionally intelligent she is. So yeah, that was it was a bit strange, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like whatever. Um, I'm just surprised Zornoza wasn't the, like once again she gets absolutely no rest. <laughs> I, I guess, treatment, man. She's she's the new Iron Woman. I mean, I guess we're being cautious with Mike. They only recently came back from injury, but we're but running so Teresa, which I mean is is a fair maybe caveat to add. I don't know. I just feel like at some point we gotta think about like at some point Mike's fit. At some point we gotta worry about running Zornos into the ground. But so far she's holding up and um she's holding up fine. So those were the subs. We kind of skipped over it, but Ivana plays at left center back throughout the first half. Then Bob's comes on. She moves to, to, to left center back. Ivana goes to the other side. It may be hard to remember with everything that has happened across this entire season and with all the changes that have happened, but Ivana is a right center back who has been moved to left center back when we went to a back three because Bob's was out. And so Rocio would play as the central center back Claudia would play as the right center back and Ivana would then have to be on the left because he didn't want to put Claudia on the left. We have everyone back, essentially besides Cardona, Aslani, and Milena. Everyone's back. We go with the back four with the preferred pairing we had to start the season, and yet Ivana plays on the left, Rossi on the right. You were doing some guesswork trying to, to possibly play devil's advocate justifying certain selections what do you got for me here with this one yeah um i would maybe the only thing that i could maybe rationalize is osnar thinks that rocio is best in the right center back role and ivana is good enough that she can play anywhere i mean i maybe think it's because he thought olga was the one who needed the most cover that Diani was going to be the one playing off that side. And that's why he put her there. Otherwise I don't really see a reason for it because Rocio is quite used to playing left center back. It opens up a whole nother level to Ivana's distribution progression when she plays on the right, but she was super clean on the ball today. It has to be said, I think a 90, 91% passing accuracy, which is the second best on the team. So, you know, Ivana ended up being fine. She ended up being moved to the right anyway in the second half. But it's just one of those things that Osnar does, and you're just like, I have no real explanation for why, and we're never going to get to know. But that was notable to me. That was notable because in a back four, this is the first time I think I've ever seen Ivana play left center back. Probably happened way back, maybe a couple times last season, but with everyone there, this is the first time I've seen it. And that was very interesting, especially when he switched it when Bob's came in. So maybe you're right. Maybe it has something to do with Rocio. It was funny anyway, because if it was to contain Diani, Diani switched to the left halfway through the first half and she just stayed there. So yeah, I, I don't really know what that was about. I'm coming up empty, but I figured we should talk about it because it was, it was one of the more interesting things that happened throughout the game. We've already kind of touched on it, but PSG's second goal was Karchawi just kind of unleashing. Warching humiliating there's a lot of adjectives that could be used slicing through 
he gets by Maite a little too easily. And that was like the one moment where it's like, Maite, I was going to give you a nine out of 10. And I just think you, you, you let her go by a little easily, even though Karchak has the advantage there. But really, it's Lucia, poor Lucia, who's the one that gets destroyed because Karchawi drops her shoulder, jinx her way back outside, and Lucia is just she's sent completely the wrong way. There's no chance for her to recover. I'm interested to, to hear what you have to say about this, but do you think Misa could have done better on the shot? Because what happens is Karchawi puts in, maybe it was a cross, maybe it was a shot, it was a cross shot, and it goes off Misa's foot and crosses the line before was it Diani? It might have been Baltimore who would come out come on in that point. I can't remember. But um no, it was Diani. Baltimore came on came on later. So it was it was Diani, right? Or, or it yeah, might have been Kototo. So. It might have been Kototo actually. Well it was someone who got their their foot to the ball, but it already crossed the line. Do you think Misa could have done better there or is it just I mean she's in a really difficult position. I think she's in a really difficult position. Um, it speaks to the standard that we have for Misa that, you know, we just expect her to kind of save everything. And I think she was really good off her line at times. But I couldn't help but wonder, like, with this, with the handling of the cross, with the handling of some other aerial balls, if Misa's confidence was maybe a little rattled by getting dropped for the first PSG game, you know, goalkeepers don't get tested all that often and you know to be dropped i just was wondering if that maybe made her a little more cautious than she normally is maybe a little slower maybe overthinking things obviously this is just me projecting but you know it's not often you drop your number one for kind of an inexplicable reason and so i was wondering if that was maybe playing at the back of her mind and some of the decision making processes throughout the match I think Misa maybe could have done a little bit better, but at the end of the day, when two of your defenders get completely beat and they're free, the attacker's free on goal, I mean, it's liable to happen. It's, it's not easy to stretch your legs out, do a split, and get a firm foot to the ball. Misa made a lot of good interventions throughout the game. She had four saves. She had four punches. I'm still unsure about that set piece, but ultimately she was a clear net positive on the day. Well, yeah, I mean, she came off the line and denied probably two goals. For sure. Those are always the most impressive and probably the most valuable actions she pulls off on a regular basis. And so ultimately she was pretty good. And if you're gonna allow PSG to generate that type of space in the box, I mean your keeper is probably gonna get beaten and pushed to the limit to the extent to where okay, they might make they might may not be perfect in an instance and it's gonna lead to a goal. So that was that was kind of it, right? Like there's not much to say after that. PSG started to make a bunch of substitutions to, to, to start resting players. And Karchawi goes off injured and person comes on, which always super confuses me. Cascarino comes on and I'm always like, wait, isn't Cascarino <laughs> at Leon now? And then I realize, no, it's her sister. It's, it's not Delphine Cas- Cascarino, it's Estelle Cascarino. And maybe at a certain point in time, I will finally be able to get it and not be confused every time that happens but not today. So yeah, is, is there any, anything else you want to talk about? Any other players? Yeah, Esther gotta, gets a yellow card. About Olga, right? Oh yeah, we got to talk about Olga, but I didn't I mean, even remember Esther getting a yellow card in the very last game. What was she doing? Yeah, so it was one of those moments where PSG had a free kick in their own half. Esther was kind of standing in front of it. 
trying oh, to make notes I remember time. now. I remember and then now, she starts yeah, to yeah. back away, and the PSG player just laces her, just puts puts her foot through the ball and hits Esther. I thought it was a little a little harsh, but Esther had already been warned a few times and was on the referee's mind, so it happened. It happens. Um, I guess uh, a funny moment to end the game, but go ahead. Talk about Olga. Yeah, I, I mean, the first half, she was incredible. Up and down the flank. She has an engine unlike almost any player I've seen. Her ability to basically play left winger and left back in the same match. She made a huge difference today. Helped pin back PSG so they weren't able to get their fullback forward as much as they were in the first leg of this matchup. She was a catalyst for that Esther chance. I thought she just ran herself into the ground and actually defended really, really well today. And I just, I tweeted it from the Las Blancas account. I thought, why would you not play her in the first leg? Not playing her in the first leg was the worst decision Osnar made. She was the third best player on the night. Probably just a tiny bit worse than Zornoza. Really important with her overlapping runs offensively. She had one beautiful moment where she dinks the ball in the air over Lawrence to, to keep control of play and, and keep the attack going. Like she was on song offensively. She had that one, one moment where she kind of skewed across and it almost for one second, we thought it was going to, it was going to turn into an accidental goal, but that didn't happen. Otherwise, like she was really, really important offensively. Obviously she had the cross for Esther. That was our best chance of the game. Defensively, she was insanely active. Eight tackles, four interceptions, I think she largely held her own. She got beat plenty of times per sofa score. She was dribbled past six times. And you know what? I think that's just going to happen when you're going up against Diani, when you're going up against Ashley Lawrence, when Kototo is coming over to that side to try to humiliate you. It was by no means some kind of shutdown where she just controlled everything that was happening on that PSG flank. But to still put in eight tackles, to get four interceptions, I think she just about held her own, which is probably the most you can ask for versus that PSG attack that we saw on that right-hand side. And so I thought it was a great performance. She's made for these types of moments. She rises to the challenge. And, man, as long as she's fit, as long as we don't need to rest her, just always play her. Like, who else? We, we literally have no one else we can deploy on that side. And it turns out she's turning into a really great attacking left back so kudos to Olga she had a good performance it was a shame that she wasn't able to get an assist at the end like she was really the best forward presence on the day more than Esther more than Muller more than Naifari more than Tere she was the one making stuff happen in the final third so very good performance from her who else what else we reached the end I think we're pretty close to the end I thought Ivana was good again on both sides. I thought, you know, she was a little unlucky on that one chance that Misa had to make that, that big save where she tried to clear the ball away. It bounces off Diani and straight to the feet of Katoto, who lashes a shot at Misa. Misa makes a good save. Rocio clears it. But I thought Ivana was, was pretty good today. Some statistics for the game. 51% possession in favor of us. 49% for PSG. We were outshot 12-9. to nine. Six to three for shots on target. We were completely dominated in corner kicks, which is not a surprise. Eight to one, 
we didn't get our first corner kick until the 85th minute. <laughs> yeah, that, it, that's wild. <laughs> took a long time for that to happen. Sofa score credits PSG with one big chance. I wonder if that was a Karchawi one. PSG had 10 shots inside the box. We had four. And I think that's probably what makes me think PSG were deserved winners. Like, obviously, the overall shot count feels pretty even. But to have 10 shots inside the box, and then you think about the amount of shot, actual clear-cut chances we created, I think we probably should have scored. But I don't know. I'd, I'd go as far as some people are saying, like, we really deserve to get something out of this game. I think PSG deserved to win. It's just that we actually had a chance of getting a result, and you couldn't feel like it was this massive robbery if we ended up doing so. Passing accuracy was pretty similar for both sides, 80% to us, 84% for PSG. and. Yeah, defensively, we had way more tackles and way more clearances. And 16 tackles in total means Olga had half of them, which is pretty incredible. So those are some stats for you on the game. In terms of future Real Madrid stuff, we play Alaves at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, apparently November 21st. So this Sunday, then after that, it's international break time again. And then we go ahead and play... Villarreal and our return to club football on December 5th and uh, we'll have to see how we navigate the whole podcast thing because the live podcast in New York is December 4th and as it stands now I will probably be staying overnight and then coming back the next day so may have to be a pod the next day we'll we'll see what happens with that but we'll get something out for you guys then but that's just how things are looking Looking for us, right? Yeah. Alaves, go ahead. Right after that, three days later, is Breitablik. And if my math is correct, which is probably not because math is not my best, but I think with a win, considering PSG is going to beat Kharkiv, a win against Breitablik, and we're in, I believe, to the knockout round. So that would be a huge weight. We don't want to be battling with Kharkiv for a spot on the final day. I mean, obviously, we are the better team and should be able to pull that out. But hopefully, we could get it done against Breda Blick, and then PSG will obviously get it done against Kharkiv. And we'll be into the knockout rounds, which is not something that we necessarily thought was ever a possibility at the start of the season. Yeah, we will be through because this is the fourth match day. So if we win the next game, which we should, that'll be nine points. And assuming Kharkiv does not win they'd be stuck on four points and there's just no way to make up five points, a five point difference in one game, unless there's some kind of penalty, unless the RFEF steps in and is like, we're going to deduct points for some, if we're not wearing the patch or whatever, we've decided we own the UEFA Champions League competition as well. So unless something crazy like that happens, we just got to win the next game to secure passage through. It's something we should do. We probably didn't imagine going to the knockout to face Manchester city, but when we saw this group, we realized it was a very real possibility. I remember, at least me, maybe, possibly trying to say that Real Madrid would finish first. <laughs> it, quite hasn't, it hasn't panned out that way. But we had good feelings once we saw the group that we were going to progress. And honestly, this is going to be our biggest achievement of the season, probably, because we're not going to qualify for the Champions League next season in all likelihood based on how we started the league. I don't see how we're going to win the Copa de la Reina. That's Barcelona's to lose. So really, this would be our biggest accomplishment of the season, right? Progressing to the knockout rounds, that was the goal we set ourselves at the start of the season. 
and it's something you'd be proud of, I guess. Small steps forward. So yeah, who that's knows what could happen in a knockout competition. Who knows what could happen in a knockout competition? You're right. And it would be very Real Madrid to make a deep run all the way maybe to the semifinals and back while continuing to shit the bed in the league and not actually looking that great. It would just be part of our history. It would just be Real Madrid DNA. So that's what's ahead for you guys. And um, we'll we'll try to keep stuff coming. I don't know if I can do like preview pods for a car even Bladeblick. I don't even know if if those fans are are online and and, and tuned into to some of the stuff I'm doing. But we'll try to keep stuff flowing. And as always, hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll talk to you later. Al Madrid. Al Madrid.